0: Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Tom Meyer, who's the CEO of Archer Exploration, uh, a Canadian nickel, copper, cobalt, and PGEs focused exploration and development company with an extensive portfolio of assets in Quebec and Ontario, Canada. Uh, Tom is a professional engineer with over 23 years. Uh, in the mining industry, including 16 years in the Canadian international capital markets as a highly ranked and respected mining uh, equity researcher and commodity analyst. Um, He took over the CEO role at Archer about 15 months ago. Um, He's going to talk us through uh, his journey, uh, the company, their projects um, and financing within the Canadian mining industry and a lot more. So let's welcome Tom to the podcast. How are you doing, Tom?
1: Very well, Rob. How about yourself?
0: I'm good. I'm good. We're recording this on a Friday, um, so it's the end of the week. Um, so yeah, all, all is good. So as we always start these podcasts off, I just wondered if you can just tell us a little bit about your your background, your career. As I mentioned, you've been in the industry for over twenty years in a few different parts of the mining industry. Um, so yeah, just wanted you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and your career.
1: Sure, I'm a uh, Rob. I'm a metallurgist by training. Uh, I actually did a master's degree in metallurgy and material science, and uh, surprisingly, the focus was uh, on the nickel aspects of certain production routes uh, with uh, INCO uh, back in the day. So uh, I worked early on as a consultant and uh, got tired of traveling all over the world and uh, moved into capital markets doing equity research. So I covered the Latin American uh, metals and mining space covered the steel space, uh, did a lot of commodity analysis work um, uh, over the years, uh, both in the US and in Canada. And um, just really just a kind of through that work was able to visit a a great number of projects, uh, crawled around a lot of rocks, saw a lot of things. um, And then um, when this Archer opportunity came up uh, just at this collection of really phenomenal nickel sulfide assets. I kind of jumped I jumped at it. But uh yeah that brought me to brought me to Archer.
0: So yeah, I wanted if you can just tell us a little bit about uh the company.
1: Yeah so uh Archer exploration we're a nickel sulfide focused exploration and development uh, company and uh focused on low-risk political jurisdiction so that's why we're in Canada we've got a flagship asset called grassette in the Abitibi greenstones of Quebec so uh, it's off the highway, so it's very well located, um, and it's a it has an existing resource of about five and a half million tons at one point five three percent nickel equivalent. That's our flagship. We spend about eighty percent of our time and effort and money on Grisette, and then uh, not to be not to be overshadowed, but we got the third largest land package. In the Sudbury camp, so Sudbury, as many people know, has been operating for over 130 years, uh, and we've got uh, over you know, 300 kilometers squared of claims, a uh, number of advanced projects, but and we're actually the third largest landholder uh, in that camp. Uh, but our focus is on Grasset and, and moving Grasset to uh, and advancing it to w- which we believe could potentially be a mine with from starting from our existing resource, and then the objective is to grow it uh, is to grow it from there.
0: Yes, yeah, so I just wanted you can give us a, a brief overview of a uh, grasset uh, the grasset yes, project. Yeah.
1: So as I mentioned, it's five and a half million tons of one uh, point five three percent nickel equivalent, and so this is a pretty interesting in, in our in our minds, and I think a lot of our shareholders' minds, that exciting discovery from twenty twelve. So this is not a project that all of a sudden, you know, nickel is tending towards, you know, $10, $15 a pound. Ultimately, I know it's a lot lower at the present moment, uh, just given, uh, you know, the market dynamics with some of the supply coming off uh, in uh, through Indonesia and some of the laterite production. But uh, this is a deposit um, that was accidentally discovered in 2012 um, and it's got the grade working in its favor. Uh, and it we've only really just scratched the surface so we've got about 23 kilometers of favorable ultramafic trends the Grisette uh, uh deposit as as we're um exploring it now is it, is just one small piece of that and we have other indications of other similar type of um uh. Uh, targets along that trend, which will be following up in due course. But right now, our focus is on expanding the existing resource. To, to, uh, from a, from an arm waving perspective, uh, objective uh, double, triple that resource and and bias that uh, that grade uh, higher. But it is it is exciting in the sense that uh, it it is not one that is suddenly in the money because the nickel price is up, and it it is also unique in the sense that. Um, there's, there's a lot of room to grow, uh, and I, I guess the other aspect, uh, be, uh, also being a metallurgist, is that the metallurgy is quite straightforward. So we, we have the grade of the ore body working in our favor and the, and the scale of the district to say there's more tons there, but we also have, from a technical aspect, uh, uh, in our view, a pretty low-risk um, project in the sense that the metallurgy is uh, conventional. Uh, we've got the grade, and it's a conventional flotation. Ultimately, so it's something that a junior mining company can kind of execute on and and move it forward.
0: And um, obviously, you mentioned unique, and I suppose uh, not many people may know, but the the deposit was actually a discovery by a company looking for for gold initially. Great. Um, wonder yes. if you can just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that that, that yeah, that's you know, part of the excitement uh, of here. So the previous uh, landowner, Balmoral Resources, which was acquired by Walridge Mining in, in 2020, they were targeting gold. Um, and they did a step out uh, along with, in Quebec, This uh, the Abitabit is called the Sunday Lake Deformation Zone. They did a, a, a step out and they accidentally discovered nickel. So, you know, the question is why, because when you look at the district, there's been a lot of activity looking for gold, obviously, but also some VMS targets, the uh, Glencore's uh, Metagamy mine, which they closed last year uh, is not too, too far away. And uh, so there's been a lot of exploration activity, but never for uh, nickel, uh, per se. It wasn't it was believed to be the uh, kind of the environment for it. And one of the reasons why it was kind of this accidental discovery, it is we are buried under overburden, as as different pieces of the Abitibi are. Uh, so it is blind. So you, you know, think of a lot of these... Or many nickel projects that some of your listeners may be f- f- familiar with in Western Australia, which they outcrop and they kind of tr- you trip over them, and you can you, you somewhat easily trace them. And, and this, in this case, we're we're buried in some part sixty to ninety meters deep of overburden, so it is blind uh, to to many exploration techniques that have been used in the past. So uh, with Balmoral's work and kind of. By drilling through that overburden and looking for gold, but no oh, they encountered nickel that kind of just opened them up uh, to, to further per- pursue it and and we're taking the baton from all the great work that they did and then moving it uh, advancing it forward.
0: Yeah, why't do you just tell us about some of the uh, drilling uh, drilling and drilling results and how close you are to proving uh, out your deposit
1: yeah so uh starting from that all the work that was done in the past and we are, have done uh, some base of till sampling uh to look through the overburden some geophysics to help us with with targeting uh, but early on uh, our program really focused on um, looking for depth extensions uh, and also just uh, along kind of let's just call it the the strike of the deposit so um, proof of concept when we uh, in- began the program back in uh, February, or uh, so earlier this year, uh, the, the the drilling that was done through the summer in in June, we announced that uh, we hit like about one just just short of two percent nickel, one point eight two percent nickel um and this one we call it this discovery zone of, of of one of the horizons and we're following up on that uh currently uh with the with the program that will kind of wrap up uh, as uh, in you know in the in the coming weeks so uh, we've kind of tar- been able to identify um, that there is more nickel to be found, uh, particularly with this uh, Horizon One uh, discovery area, and so the objective uh, with the with the current work is to grow that uh, nickel content and also bias the grade higher. So we're kind of you know very excited about what we hit so far. And uh, you know the plan as we look into next year is to further follow up along this uh, discovery zone with the 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 money that we just recently raised uh, for that drilling. So yeah, quite quite exciting. I, yeah, I was just about
0: to say a common theme, obviously, amongst many junior miners, especially at the moment, and uh, especially I suppose during the course of this year, is is the struggling of trying to raise finance for their for their projects. You obviously just mentioned that you uh, recently raised some uh, finance just wanted yeah. how how that went and how how you done that
1: yeah so it went quite well um and and i think rob so this is you know uh lots of projects lots of juniors out there looking for money and it's we're all chasing the same bucket of cash uh, at the end of the day and so the, i guess the struggle is kind of the al- aligning with where inv- investors risk sentiment is and, and and where they see the opportunities and obviously being nickel uh, i think that kind of helps uh to a degree because we've got this c- critical minerals the- thematic in the background uh but at the same time when you look at the risk dollars and what's available uh what's again unique and special about archer is that we've got a project with grade a- and and low risk metallurgy in a low risk political just jurisdiction so unlike let's just say if um like it, it if you've got a project which may require tens or in in extent maybe hundreds of millions of dollars because it's a volume game where you're just looking for volume of rock because maybe your grade is not working in your favor uh, or you've got complexity with uh, potential mining or processing. We've got grade where we can hit like six and in some cases we get 14% nickel intercepts within these massive sulfide zones. Obviously we got disseminated as well. But when we have an opportunity where a small company where we can put a few drill holes in and then add significant nickel units because we've got the grade potential working in our favor, that makes it more attractive because the investor, then can see, okay, I can give you guys a dollar and then you guys can come back and add hopefully three or four dollars worth of nickel units because you've got grade and one drill hole can really move the needle uh, that makes it a lot easier so we went out and we re- went out with for looking for about one and a half million dollars and we decided to cut it off at uh two million it was oversubscribed, at which we just closed that at the end of november so that te- that cash will then tee us up for uh the program into early next year which we're going to just kind of replicate and further further expand on that but it is it is a struggle out there and i, I feel for not just investors but the, the companies that may not have a, a fantastic project as we do uh to actually create and, and have the investor interest which is we you know which is absolutely phenomenal for us so it, it sets us up great for success for uh 2024 yes certainly
0: um if we look at so the i suppose the canadian junior market um and obviously it's been i suppose it's been down for quite uh, for, for many years um and uh, uh, there's fewer investors than ever sort of willing to invest in mining and I, and I think you could probably cover most of the world um has the sector lost its lackluster um uh, and its appetite for investing in 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 our industry or are we on the cusp of something bigger happening
1: soon I, I yeah so I think so I believe we're on the cusp of something bigger happening. And and why is that the case? Because we just had a pretty lackluster few years and we've lost the traction that the space used to have um, uh, with investors in the past. And, and I can, I can rant on a number of reasons for that, but I'll just highlight uh, the, the worst thing in my view that's happened to the space is we have these uh, ETFs um, where You and people can take views on a commodity cycle through these uh, so-called liquid baskets of uh, whether it's base metal companies or gold companies. And the problem with ETFs is that they they're it's just machines. At at the end of the day, it's machines. And ETFs don't buy IPOs. ETFs don't buy private placements or or bought deals. Uh, ETFs don't bring a lot of. kind of, uh, I would say, knowledge, intellect to the space. So over time, over, call it the last uh, 20 years, we have lost a lot of intelligence um, because of, you know, just the market, you know, changes. Uh, but at the same time, being lackluster, just that lack of risk dollar and just the limited opportunities uh, that have been kind of played out to where where Everyone's made a lot of money, and you've got a lot of interest on the margin. Uh, you know, some spaces have done better than others of late. Like you know, we, you know, whether you look at uranium or, in some cases, certain lithium companies that had tremendous success. But let's understand that you know, uranium somewhat unique in the energy metal space, and then lithium, at least you know, from the Canadian context, uh, really not well understood. And I think uh, the Australians have set the marginal price of the lithium you know companies whether it's exploration or or producers because they got that depth of understanding and so we've lost that and there's you know there's there's pockets of knowledge but i think we're on the cusp of bringing that back in because you we look at the technology sector and uh you know things are always progressing there's always a learning curve and here we're in a spot right now where that technology is advancing in the in through the de- de- decarbonization plans, and that brings us back to oh, this looks interesting. And so, where do these metals come from to make all this stuff happen, and and what what is behind it? Like, what what is the source? And and I, I think that will bring people back, investors back to the space, and just understand that this it it is this is high tech. <laughs> Early stage, high tech. At the end of the day, um, and then the, with the the with, you know the, the 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 struggle that the this space has had, I think that is br- going to bring back a lot more discipline than it's had. And we, I think we kind of lost the the industry. I'm uh, if I can be critical for a bit, uh, just lost the plot. You know, post you know the run up in in the early two thousands, and then just the overcapacity build and. The ex, you know, ex, excess supply, which kind of you know brought returns back down to uh, kind of the longer term averages, and and now below that, we have destroyed a lot of capital, and I think we're teed up for that uh, next leg where money comes in, and and we we do ideally. I'm optimistic that the industry can be as as disciplined as it needs to be to kind of keep uh, keep shareholders engaged.
0: Obviously, the uh, the demand for critical minerals is intense with obviously everywhere around the world, um, with every government recognizing obviously the importance of securing its own uh, own supply. Um, if we look at obviously the Canadian market, which you're in, uh, what is the uh, what how would you say is that what is the disconnect between the demand for the products and the willingness to invest?
1: I, I believe it's just the the overall lack of understanding of what is happening uh, beneath us or, or with us at this time. Um, I did some work a number of years ago for a company just looking at the various um, uh, climate scenarios of what it would take to get us to certain temperature targets um, and what that would mean for uh, metal demand. And it was quite fascinating because when you take these, whether International Energy Agency or or other like um, kind of large bodies, when you take that work and then you back out what is possible in in terms of the metal required, the maths, it it doesn't add up. Uh, There's just not enough metal to get to where we need to get to. And I think that is a, is is not well it's not well telegraphed for a number of reasons just because it, it puts us in a pretty uh, not almost a panic spot like if people were to see, okay, well we don't have an, have enough nickel, copper, you know lithium, um, other metals cobalt um, that if that would create uh, a lot of uncertainty. So the companies are the companies can talk to their shareholders and explain that this is the the, the macro trend in the background and say, okay, I get it. But for the the broader, kind of the broader public, uh, the broader investor base, I don't think that has been well communicated because it's somewhat uncomfortable. I think if if the average person on the street understood that you see there, you know, look at a, a Tesla car drive by and say, okay, if I want one of those, where's that metal going to come from? You know, it may be there tomorrow, but it's certainly not going to be there two or three years from now because... I'm probably not unique in wanting that demand, uh, of, or, or of that ultimately of that metal at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, if we look at sort of financing, what would you say? And again, it can go to any country, but if we speak about uh, the Canadian uh, investment banks, um, their support seems to have diminished greatly, uh, or the, the, those kinds of organizations, financial institutions seem seem to have diminished. Uh, I suppose um, not being as interested as they probably previously were in the past. What would you say that's mainly down to?
1: Um, I just think it, and I'll be we could be selective here because uh, you know broadly speaking that's correct. Right? But I still believe there's a number of uh, kind of smaller boutique. Brokerages that have kept that high level of interest, but I think that you know the the margins have or the the opportunities to make money haven't been there, and that and not taking a uh not taking a long term view of that space, um and I think with what's happened with the capital markets and you know the way that we the uh, kind of the regulatory environment has has changed and how um, how research has been paid uh, how Trading has been paid. um, You know how uh, deals are. You know put together. Uh, We've kind of lost the plot to be uh, to be critical of of that, uh, which is rather unfortunate. And and again, I believe that will uh, soon enough get fixed. Um, And that's one of the problems that I see some of my peers that are looking to raise money. How to do that because the brokers uh or the brokerage firms uh the capital markets really aren't there so finding new ways to engage with investors and and uh and find ways to to raise that capital and i think you know your your podcast is a great example of of that new channel of of getting people's attention uh, tell, like telling the story and uh, and and providing that knowledge and background and then and people can then say, "Oh, this is quite interesting." You know how how do I participate? And I think that groundswell of, of finding new ways to uh, engage with companies and, and this capital raising is just going to bring back a resurgence. But we, we we've lost a, lost a lot of intelligence uh, over the years because of that, and uh, it, it's it's rather unfortunate.
0: Yeah, Um if we move away from finance and I suppose look at uh, government governance, um. What would you say? Well, I mean, what could happen with governments or what what do they need to do to help sort revive? Um, And if we look at the Canadian mining industry, what what do you think they need to do to to help revive and push forward uh, the, the mining industry within Canada?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a. we in, in Canada. We we have made uh, certain moves which have been quite beneficial. Like uh, in Canada, we have flow through um, shares where tax efficient dollars can be raised. We have critical minerals uh, tax credits where we where we spend dollars, we get dollars back because it's a critical mineral. We have various moves uh, in a number of provinces where we're. The, you know, the government is looking at uh, revising the mining code to kind of speed things along. And I'll just be careful in saying that, you know, speed things along conceptually right in the right direction. Uh, it's still maintaining all the high standards that we have in Canada. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there are some barriers to making this all flow perfectly because you could say, okay, we would like to uh, provide companies some visibility on timelines whatever, as it relates, let's just say, to permitting um so those are well intentioned and make a lot of sense but then when you look at what it requires to uh, achieve those things and the the bureaucracy behind that i think we're we're still digesting uh, the the some of the complexity for example when you're looking at uh, first nations consultations it's 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 one thing to say okay here's a great way to speed things along for the company and still respect all the um the agreements that we have yet if uh, the First Nations are then now forced because there's more companies active in the space uh they've got to have a, an understanding and you can't speed that along so it's balancing that respectful, kind of process with the bureaucracy uh, is like is, is one of the key challenges right now because we all want to move move things forward, uh, but we're still kind of somewhat limited on pace, but the ideas uh, do make sense. It just may take a little bit more time to implement and and find the new way to kind of uh, hasten slowly, <laughs> move fast but still <laughs> at the right pace where everything can be done right.
0: As you're a nickel nickel explorer, and obviously it's it's a critical um, element to the, the the green transition, why do you think the prices have been and are down this year, um, and what do you how do you see the price changing, and what are the dynamics behind that?
1: Yeah, so specifically, like looking at nickel, we, we do have a supply growth, um, like the supply disruption that's coming out of like Indonesia and uh, with the Chinese investment and, you know, whether it's Indonesia or the Philippines and a lot of the change of technology to, to take advantage of uh, kind of lower grade nickel uh, deposits, whether they're laterites, um, and, and using the technology to kind of unlock uh, nickel units from the traditional nickel sulfides that uh, you know in the past that uh, many people are familiar with. Uh, but that so that change in technology, opening up new a- areas of uh, nickel exploitation, uh, we're we're kind of seeing that this uh, somewhat of a flood of nickel supply coming on the market in the short term. Um, I think from, from my perspective, like longer term, it's not a solution. We're going to go back to um, the, these obvious constraints where there is you know, lack of nickel units and particularly on the sulfide side because Rob, one of the issues that uh, many in industry have is when you look at the life cycle of uh, many products and, and the carbon footprint, of many uh, products, your source of metal at the end of the day will you know, dictate what sort of uh, impact you have on the environment, so to speak. So with nickel sulfides that have grade in some cases, well, in all cases, carry uh, energy with it in the form of sulfur, um, you can have a much lower carbon footprint with nickel sulfides versus the laterite projects which are um from an environmental side they have a large uh, visible uh, footprint uh because they're you know digging up uh, you know swaths of uh, lateritic areas which visibly there's a large footprint but also the energy intensity which is typically carbon based to generate that nickel unit uh, that is some uh, problematic longer term so i think as we evolve here um, and we look at what we're doing to solve a, a carbon problem, uh, we get back to these high-grade nickel sulfides with uh, much lower carbon footprints, uh, not just from the environmental side, because you know a high-grade open pit or a high-grade underground has a much smaller carbon footprint than, say, a big uh, lateritic deposit. And I think when those constraints become visible, uh, we're, 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 it's going to be a step change. Uh, That pivot away, because that pivot towards the laterites in the end and and solving a lot of the technology issues is the reason why uh, we are now below $10 a pound uh, nickel at present, a little over $7, and not $15 a pound like we saw, and uh, we'll ignore the... LME spike from a, a little while ago, but uh, I think that just this short-term supply issue is is, is the reason that we've kind of seen this downdraft. And then in the commodity complex itself, um, we've seen this kind of malaise just with the rate interest rate environment and just some questions on global growth those are short term we're, we're kind of present biased and but i think when we look at the longer term ma- medium term never mind the long term uh, the medium term dynamics that uh, we paint ourselves a nice picture for higher prices in um, in 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 the short in you know over it, at least into 2016 for sure and then beyond
0: um let's go back to talking about the project we got i've got a few more questions um pomatlis I think I've pronounced that right. They, didn't they play uh, into another disc- uh, discovery at uh, Cambodia in the 1960s? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just want just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So you're referring to commatiate flows. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Western Australia, kind of 1960s. And again, a a very interesting time for exploration. And we go, you know, this industry grows through these cycles where you get these ideas that come up, new models that are generated and and commatiates in the 1960s were kind of one of them to kind of spur a lot of nickel exploration. And uh, with that, as the models evolved, other deposits were discovered. And in our case at Grisset, we've identified for the first time earlier this year uh, that we believe that we we do have a comadiate-hosted uh, uh, nickel deposit. So these are quite interesting because you can think of them conceptually as you've got uh, low-grade nickel that comes up uh, um, in the form of uh, lava and then you have in our case uh, one of the key requirements is sulfur in the country rock so that nickel combines with that sulfur and you have this formation of nickel sulfides which are immiscible within the lava so they'll uh, due to density uh they'll settle out in if if the if the flows are these channels are are, are are slow enough flowing that over time they'll they'll settle out. Uh so the key is um having the ingredients of the the you know nickel containing in these um in the comadiates, which are at the time of the formation extremely hot, magnesium rich, uh combining with that sulfur they they cut through this c- um country rock and these flows will create these channels and you can have the pooling and the immiscibility of the nickel sulfides they settle out at the at the bottom of these these channels so you'll have um, uh, with that conceptual model um, you know knowing that uh, this this is how nickel can be formed uh, you can then target uh, these topographical lows where you may have these pooling of the nickel sulfides and then in our case identifying five six up to 14 percent nickel content because you just happen to be at the at that base of that channel, um, so we're like we've we've identified that this is uh, kind of a very useful model for us at Grissette, and kind of excited to further follow up uh, on understanding because it just tells you that at the base of the flow you would anticipate uh, the highest grade nickel, and then above that you would probably have more disseminated in this net, net textured um, um, a portion of, uh, of of the deposit so quite quite yeah quite exciting from a and it it and I would encourage people to go to our um our, our website we'll have uh we have uh pictures uh and then a recent uh, press release uh from last week uh, we show a, pic, a conceptual cartoon of the model if if people want to take a closer look to see how these the the this works within within our system
0: yeah. And, and obviously, we include that website in the show notes anyway. So um, got a couple more questions. Um, when are your next drilling uh, results out? Uh, and what are the plans for a uh, maiden resource estimate?
1: Okay. So, yeah, I guess. Uh, so we're drilling now. So we would anticipate having our assay results uh, probably early by early next year. Uh, in January, and then January will be also kicking off that next leg of the uh, campaign for 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 drilling. So commencement of that program, and then we'll have um, the, as periodic drill results into uh, in, into late of the first quarter and then the work into the second quarter. And then we'll decide our, our plans for the balance of the year. Um, so with our existing resource that we have, the five and a half billion tons, um, we're you know contemplating doing a re- revision of that because the nickel price used in that calculation for that uh, five and a half billion tons at 1.53 is at $6.75 per uh, dollar per pound nickel. Um, but I think we would ideally like to do a lot more drilling uh, before we add uh, to the to to that resource and then not just rerun it on price but rerun it on additional drilling and <clears throat> our discovery zone uh within one of the horizons that we' we're working on and drilling right now, we'd like to do a lot more drilling before uh, we go embark on a an expansion of that resource and but in the meantime, there's always the the back back of the napkin uh, analysis in, internally, um, and, uh, and, and different concepts around uh, what we need to kind of uh, further um, target and expand uh, the the current project. But I will say, like the objective um, is to double triple uh, that resource um, uh, in, in the short term.
0: So, lastly, and concluding, what's the uh, outlook for Archer over the sort of next six to twelve months?
1: Oh, next six to twelve months. I pay, pay, pay attention to the 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 work that we have going on in the field, exciting drilling, exciting geophysics that are going to help us with targeting, and then we've got this regional trend which we're going to address in in due course, where we've got uh, this you know fantastic land position of 23 kilometers which is just we're just again scratching the surface so uh quite a bit of news flow and exploration activities through uh, 2024 and then beyond uh as we kind of uh, scale this thing up so um this is this is new and exciting um and i think you know, it was going to catch more and more people's uh, attention as we kind of demonstrate proof of concept of, of what we've got and what's what's to be unfolded and and canada is ripe for uh, an, an expanded discovery and i think um the australians will be paying attention as well because uh, this is this is right up their alley as uh, as it relates to this kemadite uh, in western australia type of uh, nickel deposit
0: yeah Tom, really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for coming on, uh, telling us about Archer Exploration, obviously uh, giving us an overview of the project, um, tell us a little bit about the obviously Canadian mining industry, as well as obviously uh, some of the, the, fi- the financial um, aspects that you've um, obviously recent, recently raised some money. So appreciate you um, obviously sharing your, your journey and, uh, and um, telling us about the company. If our audience wants to reach out to you, if they want to obviously follow your story, um, how can they go about uh, go about doing that? Obviously, you mentioned your website. Uh, are you on any other social media?
1: Yeah, we're uh so archerexploration.com um, for our website, and then we're also on uh, LinkedIn as well. Uh to and I recommend people follow us on LinkedIn because you will get the updates and then I also recommend signing up for um our email. Uh, distribution through through that website but uh you know rob thank you very much uh for the questions i, I really enjoyed myself and then speaking with you today
0: yeah and uh, like i said appreciate your time and uh share, sharing the insights of uh what's happening in the mining industry especially obviously in canada we do we have got a lot of uh canadian uh listeners as well as uh, guests a number of guests have been on as well as australians as well so i think they'll find find this interesting as well so, really appreciate your time, and hopefully you can come on there uh, sometime next year and give us an update.
1: Oh, I'd love to do that. Thank you very much, Rob.
0: Yeah, no worries. Um, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed that episode, and as always, really appreciate all your support. And uh, please share this episode far wide, um, especially to all your Canadian friends and all, all your Australian friends, but also others out uh, outside of the mining industry as well as in the mining industry, wherever you are in the world.